Welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We are your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And uh, we are back at it, really uh, cutting it close on Don't time to edit. Don't drag me. <laughs> Don't drag me. Me too. I just finished up my notes last night. We're <laughs> fine. It's fine. It's, everything's fine. The world is on fire. Everything <sighs> sucks. Yeah, we're recording this on July 4th. So for those of you who have followed American politics, you know that we have not had a good week and a half as women in our 30s. Yep. Yep. It's not. It, there's, it's just been a whole hot mess. There's, and then the hits keep coming. The hits keep coming. The and Supreme they- Court... Needs to stop. Um, oh, yeah. You know, we just need Gorsuch to uh, recuse himself on the EPA case since his mother was the defendant in the original case oh, that might be over that yeah, the president might be overturned for. And, uh, you know, the voting and certifying election results, uh, Mr. Thomas should not be a part of since his wife literally was a part of the insurrection. Um, and yeah. 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 Uh, I apologize if this is your first episode and you didn't realize that we are absolute raging liberals. Um, Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. It's only going to get worse from here because I'm not shutting up about it. (laughs) It's going to be great. It's going to be great. On a more lighthearted note, hey, Amanda, what, uh, what coffee are you drinking? All right. Well, I got an iced Americano with just a little bit of cream splashed in there from our local coffee shop, Synergos. We've talked about them before. We've sung their praises. They are just, it's some of the best roasted beans I've ever had. It's really good. I'm really grateful there's a location within walking distance of me. I said walking and I'm like, that's not right. It's walking. It's walking distance. Yeah, there's that tricky L there that shouldn't be. And I speak English great. Uh, anyway, I am drinking a lavender spice latte, also from Synergos. And uh, it's pretty freaking tasty. I've had that one before, and it is delicious. I just didn't want that much sugar right now. Oh, I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired, Patrick. Knocked over my tea display last night, and my husband is out camping, so I thought there was a home invasion. Oh, no. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. But, uh, yeah, I don't sleep well when there's not another person in the house with me, apparently. At fair. I've run into that myself. Um, no, I've just been up since 5 a.m. with a toddler with a stomach bug and all of the cleaning that that entails, and this is only coffee number two Oof. for the day. Oof. Um, so, best Americano I've ever, ever had in my life. 
I believe it. I believe uh, it. So what is our card pool for this episode, Corinne? So I got I got a new tarot deck, and it's because you have this tarot deck, Amanda, and it was so gorgeous. I do. If you guys follow us on Instagram and you've seen the Tarot Tuesday, I went through a few weeks where I did not rotate away from this deck because it's really nice to me. I'm so glad for you because it fucking hates me. <laughs> so it is the Murder of Crows Tarot. Um, I picked up mine at a really cute little independent divination shop in... Uh, Nashville, Indiana, when Hunter and I were on vacation there a couple weekends ago. Very nice. I picked that deck up at Unorthodox here in Louisville because it's, guys, there is an occult shop literally a three-minute walk from my house. The fact that I have any money in my bank account is a testament to my self-control. I believe it. Um, but yeah, anyway, this deck and I, um, we are not simpatico with one another, so I'm trying to like spend a little bit more time with it. Uh, anyway, today's card is the Hanged Man. Uh, you know, keywords for this one include vulnerability and stillness, but also a new point of view. Um, and then that sense of powerlessness. A new point of view actually works really well with my notes. Yeah, um, mine, especially the, the vulnerability stuff, mm-hmm. will we'll kind of maybe pivot into a little bit. I... Amanda, I told you this before we started recording, but um, I may not have kept to the brief today. Only you will be able to judge. Look, I even did the biological research. Me too. To connect these two. I had to do some research too. Um, I just, I, I read a sentence and things snowballed. I'm sorry. So Amanda, now that uh... I've told people that I'm not good at following directions, what's our topic today? All right. So for the final episode in our animal folklore series, at least for season one, we are talking about coyotes and jackals. And I'm about to get into how the two relate and how we're not just pulling shit out of our asses so that Corinne can talk talk about anything not in North America. And I, I did a little bit of my own research, too, because I was like, how does this work? It it does. It does. Uh, so, again, a bit of biology. That was the most Southern way that I've ever said the <laughs> word biology. We're tired. It's fine. In my life. It's fine. Everything's fine. Guys, we're from Kentucky. In case y'all can't tell. <sighs> Normally, I do not get that much of an accent unless I've had bourbon and lots of it. <laughs> uh, so, again, a bit of biology and history before we get into the folklore portion of this segment. The canid family of animals evolved in North America about five and a half million years ago. So while many uh, different canid species like wolves and jackals and wild dogs left via land bridges, coyotes never left the North American continent. And physically, modern coyotes are closest related to golden jackals amongst the various branches. Uh, There's only a 4% genetic difference. And evolutionarily, they only split apart 800,000 years ago, which is the blink of an eye when you are talking. On geological timescales. Yes. Uh, So, yeah, our episode topic notes make total sense, and we're not lazy at all. So, suck it, self-doubt. We actually are really lazy. It's just that the science (laughs) backed us up on this one. I'm gonna be honest. It's true. 
I remember how that planning session went down. You can't lie to me. (laughs) Uh, So growing up, uh, believe it or not, I read whatever available book on mythology and folklore I could find. What? I know. Shocker. I even wrote, shocking, right? (laughs) And uh, in that sort of zealous research that only a nine-year-old can do, I learned that in Native American folklore, you know, Mm -hmm. the generic Native folklore that definitely is the same across the continent. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, we have, like, one monolithic indigenous peoples that has no difference whatsoever. Yeah, guys, this is sarcasm. Uh, Being very sarcastic. Very. Uh. But you find that Coyote is a trickster character a la Reynard, like you discussed Mm -hmm. in the Fox episode, or Anansi in West Africa. And I imagine, because I know you and I have discussed Coyote as a folkloric figure, I imagine that that's the same frame of reference that you have, more or less. More, well, well, um, I went a little bit older. (laughs) Sorry. You can, you can take the art history nerd no, 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 no. I meant with what you know about Native American oh, folklore. Sorry. I'm dumb, but yes, you are correct. Yeah. Uh, because again, that's what that's what's available in surface level stories that are easy to find. Um, but as we've discussed a few times on this podcast, surface level colonizer retellings of stories are never really accurate. Yeah. Looking further, Coyote as a mythological figure only really shows up in mythology in the Western United States. Okay. Um, And it's incredibly popular amongst the nations that make up modern day California. Okay. uh, Which, again, all of this makes sense when you understand that coyotes did not migrate east of the Great Plains until the late 19th century. Okay. Uh, And in those original myths, for the most part, Coyote doesn't really fit the trickster role. Interesting. He doesn't do anything mean. Mm. And he's not doing anything to fuck with humans. Okay. Everything that Coyote does is to teach humanity an important lesson. Okay. Um. And in this role, Coyote exists more as a benevolent teacher or mentor figure for humanity. So he's like the Obi-Wan to to humanity's Luke. Please don't hurt me. I mean, you know, in the year of our Lord 2020, I'd say humanity is much more like Anakin in episode (laughs) three. But sure. Thank you for running with that and just, (laughs) yes, good. Thank you. Yes. This is why we're friends. Um. So again, benevolent teacher, teacher, <laughs> teacher or mentor figure um, with the most important task carried out across various cultures being the introduction of fire. Okay. That's, I'm, I'm still losing it over teacher. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm good. I'm fine. Oh. I'm just... I'm dying, and I've I've taken us off course. I'm sorry. Let's go back. <laughs> You're fine. Uh, so, because I'm me, I wanted to figure out when and why the myths switched from benevolent mentor to lecherous, spineless trickster, because a lot of the more modern myths about Coyote, it, like, sexual predator Ew. would not be an inaccurate 
description. I'm glad I didn't read those as a child, or if I did, it went over my head. Yeah. And, you know, the answer, naturally, to why this change took place is fucking white people. Is it white dudes? It's white dudes. It's white dudes. Oh, fucking white dudes. Okay. Uh, See, in the fall of 1804, Lewis and Clark made it to present-day South Dakota, where they encountered a coyote for the first time. Mm-hmm. At first, they thought it was a fox, but after shooting one Aww. and looking at it up close, they decided it must be some sort of wolf. They named it a prairie wolf, and that's what coyotes were called in the United States for the majority of the 19th century. And uh, fun fact, learning that bit of history while doing this research made certain passages of Little House on the Prairie make so much more sense in retrospect. Mm. Yeah, you can <laughs> see the little light bulb yeah. going off over my head right now. <laughs> I had that exact same moment right. doing this research. Okay. Um, and it makes sense why the prairie wolves were not as terrifying as wolves were in every other bit of media that mentioned them that I was exposed to growing up. Because coyotes are not as terrifying as wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that introduced Lewis and Clark being exposed to a coyote introduced coyotes into the United States consciousness. Uh, But the beginning of their reputation as a pest animal came from an even less likely source than Lewis and Clark. Do you want to guess who? Um, Hmm. My brain has completely forgotten everything I ever learned in American history class because you asked me a question. <laughs> Fair. Uh, it was our buddy, the originator of the great American novel himself, Mark Twain. Oh, I know that boy. Yeah. I know that boy. What did he do? So in the 1870s, Twain wrote the book Roughing It. Okay. In which he goes on a four-page rant about coyotes. <laughs> That's my boy. Saying in part, quote, the meanest creatures despise him, and even the fleas would desert him for a velocipede. End quote. That's, he's got some strong feelings there, Amanda. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> By the 1920s, the publication, and you know, it's a little obscure. I'm not sure if you'll have heard of it. Scientific American. Oh, I don't think I know that one, <laughs> I know. Uh, started referring to coyotes as, quote, the original Bolsheviks. Well then. Yeah. And around this time, coyotes began getting hunted with as much creative cruelty as possible. Oh, buddies. uh, Termed, quote, the arch predator of our time. And fun fact, while coyotes do enjoy deer, Uh they mostly eat berries and small rodents. Uh Uh-huh. Because they're whittle. I mean, they're still- Yeah, they're- 40 to 50 pounds is a good size coyote. Yeah. Uh, arch predator, they are not. But other anti-predator campaigns had about eradicated wolves in North America. Like, so they kind of, at that point, really were because we'd already fucked with the ecosystem so bad. Yeah. And I guess when fascism is on the rise, killing innocent animals is what you have to do to keep your mind off of it. Obvious. And, you know, I don't do that to avoid rising fascism around me. I watch Stranger Things. (laughs) So, you know, no animals harmed in the making of this democratic decline. (sighs) Yeah. I told you guys it would only get worse. She wasn't lying. So it was in the 20s as well that contemporary folklorists started twisting native coyote myths. Mm. And this is when that reinterpretation of the myths as Reynard-style tricksters began, 
and that was when the folklorist was feeling generous, uh, or actual coward sexual predator coyote, if you were a less kind folklorist. Yike. And that reputation stayed in place in American consciousness until the late 1960s. Really? It took, and you will not believe who did it, Richard fucking Nixon. No shit. Banning poison traps for coyotes. No shit. In addition to Look at Disney. You, Nixon doing something that I don't hate. Well, he also started the EPA, so like. All right, all right. I'll fuck with that. You know. You're a garbage that. person for so many other reasons, but at least thank you for, about the environment. Yeah, but it took you know that banning of poison traps and Disney making a series of pro coyote short films and Warner Brothers introducing Wiley Coyote. Okay, I love that to help the animal start making its comeback as just another part of the natural landscape, not a pest that must be eradicated. I kind of love that. At all costs. I'm delighted. Um, and again, I, I don't want to go too deep into native coyote myths because there are still practicing religions who I, I don't want to step on feet. Step on feet and talk for people we're not. Yes. Sorry, as I talk for you. I, you know what? <laughs> I needed it there. So. Yeah, uh, so I'll just do a couple quick facts about coyotes that I thought were pretty interesting and that I think inform a lot of what we see in myth. Okay. Uh, so coyotes, while originally confined to the western half of the continent, have now been found as far east as New York and have been found as far south as the other side of the Panama Canal. Interesting. Good on them. As of 2013. Coyotes to the east of the Mississippi are, on average, 10 to 15 pounds larger than their western counterparts. Oh, shit. We got the big boys. Mm -hmm. Which, according to genetic testing, is due to generations of inbreeding with wolves. That also makes sense. Yeah. And there's a very real chance that coyotes were partially domesticated at some point to about the same level that scientists believe cheetahs were domesticated. And it's believed that the same Ice Age, um, you know, (laughs) perpetual winter stopped that domestication for both animals. Okay, okay. Um, And you can see that in coyotes are as playful as your average Labrador retriever. Mm -hmm. They are very docile if... Not threatened. Not threatened. Um, And then another fun fact that I saw that was just wild to me is coyotes are considered similar. The only other animal that controls how many offspring they have intentionally are humans. Huh. Coyotes, if food is is scarce, I could not say that word for a second. It's all good. (laughs) Is it? Yeah, I have editing. (laughs) Yes. Uh, when food is really scarce, coyote litters will be about two to three pups. Mm -hmm. If coyotes are living in a larger group, which they will do if it basically, if food is really scarce, coyotes will live in groups of one or two and have litters of two to three pups. Mm -hmm. If food is plentiful and there's not a lot of predation on them, They will live in groups of up to 10 
Okay. As one big family. And the litter sizes will jump to up to 17. Oh, no. Puppies. My uterus hurts. And that's one of the ways that coyotes have been able to survive just a decades-long slaughter campaign. I mean, it makes sense. Um, Which I just thought was fascinating. And the only other animal that has been shown to control its reproduction in that way are humans making the conscious decision to have kids or not. And man, that word, choice. Ooh, That's where I'm going to leave this before I uh, turn this into a podcast it's not. And Corinne, what can you tell us about jackals? I can tell you things about jackals. I can if my notes load. Scrolly, scrolly, scrolly. Okay, um, so before I could dig into jackal mythology, which had secretly been my plan all along when we proposed this, I <laughs> did actually have to double check that coyotes' range didn't extend outside of North America. Yeah. Like, that was very important to me. <laughs> Thankfully, it doesn't. I didn't have to change my plans, nebulous though they were. Uh, I did, however, learn that at one point in time, coyotes were sometimes referred to as American jackals. Yes. So that was really cool. Uh, They do fill roughly the same ecological niche and in the grand scheme of things are very closely related as you previously discussed. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's cool. I learned some new biology things. My mother and my mother-in-law will both be very proud of me because my mother worked at a zoo. My my mother-in-law is a biology teacher for a community college. So yay. Uh, So I will do, uh, similar to what you did, I'm going to do a wee bit of background on jackals before we go any further. Okay. Not a ton because I'm lazy. Um, jackals are wild canids closely related to wolves, coyotes, and domestic dogs. There are three main species, the black-backed jackal and the side-striped jackal, both of which are fairly closely related and mostly found in sub-Saharan Africa. And then there's the golden jackal, which ranges through Western Asia, the Indian subcontinent, and into Europe. And here's where I have to drag myself, Amanda. I little house on the prairie did, so. So I just read... Fairly recently, a YA romance novel that was set in a fictional version of France, uh, where characters kept referring to a golden jackal frequently found east of the region where they were located. And uh, me, being me, assumed that this was a made-up thing. It, In my defense, it was largely being presented as some sort of mythological creature. You got a lot of indignant texts from me. When I learned that no, golden jackals are in fact real animals, the author was accurate about their range, and I'm still mad at myself about this. There were so many things that were annoying in that book, and to find out that this was actually accurate, I will not name this book because it's not fair, because I didn't have high opinions of it. Um, But I was mad. Uh, You will name this book after we're done Uh, recording. we're not recording, I will tell you what book this was, and you can make your own decisions. All right. It is a duology, I will leave it at that. Anyway, uh, as mentioned previously again, in a lot of Western literature, jackals will crop up as trickster figures. And you know, you know I love a good trickster figure. But instead I'm going to go focus on uh, their role in Egyptian mythology. Hell Yeah. Um, and buckle up, because we are going for a ride here. My research took a swerve that I was not expecting. Yay, I love it when that happens. It happened. So, as any kid who had an ancient Egypt phase can tell you, jackals are frequently associated with the god Anubis, who is a god of mummification, the dead. He played a hugely important role in helping souls reach the afterlife. Uh, Anubis is frequently represented as a man with the head of a jackal, or probably a jackal. Uh-huh. Yeah. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. The way Anubis is represented 
doesn't actually look a lot like the jackals that could conceivably be found in and around Egypt. Um, so remember how I mentioned that there are two species of jackal that are from sub-Saharan Africa? Yes. Yeah, that's maybe closer, but not really. And the jackal that chills out in the region near Egypt is the golden jackal, which looks far more similar to the North American coyote. Right. Um, even more notably, Greek writers, when talking about Anubis, often referred to him as being dog-headed. Okay. Yeah. But despite this, we are going to roll along with my baby understanding of Egyptology, and we're going to continue referring to Anubis as looking like a jackal. I mean, when in doubt, be like the British. Oh, God, that's yeah terrible advice. It really is. But hey, you know what? It's where we are today. It's where we are. And actually, at this point, this is where I was going to also bring up um, Set and the Set monster, because at some point they were like, maybe it's a jackal, and they're like, maybe it's a Saluki... And now the set monster is just a big shrug emoji of we don't the fuck know what the hell this is supposed to be. It uh, clearly meant something to ancient Egyptians, but we don't know what. I hope it was a Saluki. They are the goofiest shaped dogs. Yeah, but, and I, I have my notes to that, but my, my actual notes that I'm referring to as I talk. Yes. I didn't get into that because um, my research kept getting weirder, Amanda. Yay! Um, so there aren't actually a ton of extant myths about Anubis. Depending on the time period, he might be considered the son of Ra, he might be considered the son of Osiris. Sometimes his mother is Bastet, which I find hilarious because Bastet is a cat-headed goddess. Yes. Uh, sometimes his mother is Isis. Sometimes it's Nephthys. I've actually heard the Nephthys. I've never heard. Well, okay. So part of that is because the Greeks and Romans got a hold of Anubis. What? And they really fucking loved Isis. Like, they really, really loved Isis. And incorporated her into a lot of theirs. And they also really latched onto Anubis. So they were trying to more closely ally Anubis with Isis for their mystery cults. Uh, yes, because we all love the hot villain. Anubis isn't a villain. Uh, God yeah. of the underworld. Just wait. Okay. Just wait. Okay. All right. So, um, but since Anubis did play such an integral role in guiding souls along into the afterlife, from overseeing the mummification process to the weighing of the heart to determine whether or not that soul was slated for punishment or not, there is a ton of art that features him. Just loads. Actually, in my notes, I found, um, I want to say it was the University of Michigan that had a whole thing on Anubis and the other death gods of Egypt who are almost all jackal-headed. Huh. It's really cool. The art is so neat. Um, and I, so fun fact, guys, this is not in my notes at all, but I used to fucking hate art. I hated art history. My mother dragged my sorry little ass through some of the best museums in the world. And I didn't want to be there. I wanted to go look at the fucking dinosaurs. Admittedly, dinosaurs are really cool. Dinosaurs are very cool. And then I took AP Art History because A, it was another AP class that I could, you know, check that box off. And B, it took the place of humanities and fine arts. And uh, then I fell in love with art. So thank you, Mrs. Spagnardi. <laughs> Years <laughs> later, my mother is so happy that I will go into art museums and not have a meltdown anymore. I cannot imagine you not geeking out over art. I fucking hated it Wild. as a child. My sisters and I, well, no, Trisha's always liked art, but Marion and I were the pattiest little shits. That I can see. Did not like. Now love. And, like, I, I went through the whole ancient Egypt thing, so if they could take me to an Egyptian exhibition, I'd be down with it. 
Mm-hmm. But the minute we weren't in ancient Egypt anymore, I was like, no, I don't want to be here. I hate this. Wild. Anyway, so like I was telling you a little bit ago, uh, Anubis was like weirdly popular with the Greeks, Greeks and Romans after they successively conquered Egypt. Um, the Greeks and Romans took one look at this funky little jackal, jackal-headed deity and were like, you know what? You made this. I made this. <laughs> and what is kind of weird about their adoption of Anubis is that for Greeks and Roman cultures, uh, deities who had both human and animal features were considered very passe. Uh, these are the deities for barbarians, not their modern and enlightened worship. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, but much like their adoption of Isis, cults sprang up around to worship him, where his role as a psychopomp often got him conflated with either Hades or Hermes. And sometimes Cerberus, because again, the whole dog-headed thing. Uh, okay. He's a dog, right? <laughs> uh, but Anubis was so commonly conflated with Hermes. Not not Hades, Hermes. Because of the whole, like, guiding the dead thing. Right. Um, that they developed possibly the worst portmanteau that I have ever heard. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Hermanubis. Oh, no, honey. There's a cream for that. <laughs> right? Like, let's just have a moment of silence for this because it's horrible and I hate it. <laughs> I'd have to stop laughing to have a moment of silence. The rant I went on to Hunter, we were on a walk around the neighborhood and was like, <laughs> why did they come up with the name Hermanubis? That's so stupid. That sounds like you have boils. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, and so usually what that image of Hermanubis would be would be uh, like a, a young male god with like Hermes winged sandals and a dog by his side. That was kind of how like they, they swooshed the two together and they could be like, oh, look, see, it's, it's our god. We made this. Um, so yeah, so as I'm perusing this information, very silently aghast at the name Hermanubis, I'm just going to keep saying it because it's so funny, um, I saw another phrase that absolutely baffled me. To quote the uh, Egyptologist Salima Ikram, Anubis became associated with Karen in the Greek or Roman period and St. Christopher in the early Christian period. Huh. And I was like, St. Christopher, that guy we talked about in the Hitchhike and Ghosts episode? The same St. Christopher my mom keeps a holy medal of in her purse. That St. Christopher? And uh, the answer is yes. Uh, please expand on this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I linked to one of the articles that I read on JSTOR about it. But in a rough summary, the idea is that A, St. Christopher is sometimes mentioned as having a dog face. Oh. Why is this a thing that I never learned in 16 years of Catholic school? Because you're not supposed to bully, Corinne. <laughs> Um, and B, there was often imagery of Anubis with the moon, which was associated with Osiris and rebirth, which somehow got combined with the story of St. Christopher carrying the Christ child across that river. And Christ is also associated with rebirth. So you complete, complete these two stories in profit, I guess? I mean, sure. I don't, I don't know that we have enough time to get into my entire state of surprise there. It's just, I didn't expect that sentence to completely derail me. Um, but that's where I ended up, and I hope that you are as confused and entertained as I am. I love that. So, one of the reasons, and again, as we have stated on this podcast before, I do not have a single degree related to folklore or mythology. But Neither do I. I love studying this and seeing just how intertwined different cultures are. It's wild i remember again hearkening back to my old art history class there's a chapter 
where like when you start learning about Etruscan and Roman art, if you're using Gardner's art through the ages, there is this incredibly pithy bit at the start of one chapter where they talk about how, you know, the Romans in their usual neighborly fashion took over and adopted all of the Etruscans' gods. <laughs> um, that is the funniest part in the entire textbook. That textbook is very dry. And the reason that one was funny is because they were quoting someone else. <laughs> I love it. I, Gardner's Art Through the Ages, guys. Great art history textbook. Very dry. Just just go into it knowing that, but you will learn a lot. So yeah, um, St. Christopher and Anubis. Who knew that I would be hearkening back to episode two? Three? Two? I don't know. I should have looked that up before I said anything. But whatever. It's fine. It's fine. We recorded that almost a year ago. We can't be expected to remember. Oh, no, it was because we recorded our first episodes in July July of... Yeah. Woof. I don't like that. Yeah. Mmm. Linear time. I don't like it. Well, it keeps going and going. It do. It do keep going. Um, but... Do you have any more? Nope, that's it, because I just, my brain kind of short-circuited after that. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to stop here. We might have to do a re-examination of, I don't know, Catholics' assimilation of other myths. I would love to do, did you, do you know how incensed we were in high school when we found out that St. Genesius, you know, who we invoked before every single show, was not fucking real? St. <laughs> Genesius never existed. But I still invoke him before any performance. That's that's not one we did before really? shows. St. Yeah. X and Assumption always invoked St. Genesius. No, 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 no. We had uh, students who a decade before had died while students of Prez and members of the theater and tech mm, crews. So that's fair. We asked them to keep an eye on us and then we kicked one support beam that was not well yeah not supportive um connected to the ground uh-huh and we'd see it wiggle so you'd have to make sure that you know you were all equally around and so it all wiggled into the same place that it started yeah um high school extracurriculars are safe yeah and wonderful and i was allowed to climb ladders and reach as far over to the side while using power tools as i could it's fine I'm alive. I hit myself in the face with a handball, so I get you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening um, and learning about Catholic high school. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. So sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everyone. Good night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire copyright 2006, and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at graveyardcoffeetalkpod or on Twitter at talkgraveyard. About three years later, the storm is